Good evening. It's good to be here tonight. So tonight, for our passage, and if you would take your Bibles out, we're going to be going through a lot of different passages. It doesn't matter what I say, it matters what the Bible says, because the Bible's truth, and I'm just a messenger. So we want to get into Scripture tonight, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. So Paul... The Apostle to the Gentiles is writing 2 Timothy. Paul always wrote to believers, always. And Paul's time here on earth is coming to a close, and he knows that. So he's passing the torch on to Timothy, and he's instructing Timothy on what he needs to do as being the leader of this body of Christ going forward. This would be right around 66, 67 A.D., when this was written. So, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. If I would read from the King James Version, correctly handles would be rightly dividing. So what does rightly dividing mean? Jesus never mentioned it in his ministry when he was here on earth. The 12 disciples never mentioned it either. So why would the apostle Paul tell Timothy, the one he's passing the torch to, to be approved of the word and know how to rightly divide the word? So in Christendom today, we have some myths that I believe are present in many churches today because we haven't, as a church, through many years, rightly divided the Word of God. So we want to look at three myths tonight, and we'll do it biblically, and we'll see what Scripture says. The first myth that we'd like to touch on tonight is the body of Christ replaced the nation of Israel as a church. So when a lot of theology origin back in the mid-200s A.D., Jerusalem was barren. It was desolate. In 70 A.D., Rome came in, destroyed the temple, killed 1.1 million Jews, and said the streets ran with blood, and he said, God must be done with the Jews because they're no longer here. They were scattered amongst the nations. So we have what we call replacement theology or amillennialism or another word today you might hear, preterism. So that no longer is Israel, Israel to God, the body of Christ, Gentile believers, which we are part of today, It is said, we are the new Israel. Okay? But that's not what Scripture says. And if we believe that, we've got to throw about two-thirds of Scripture out and say God's holy inspired word is incorrect. And we know it's not. So there's confusion. 
brings me back to, a, I had a young man several years ago ask me, Ken, there's one God, right? I says, yes, there's one, there's one God. Well, if there's one God, why is there so many churches? Isn't that a great question? Why are there so many denominations? Why does this denomination have these hoops to jump through? We have other hoops to jump through. So it's a great question. So to prove that Israel is still God's chosen people, there's a few points. The Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12. If you look up Genesis 12, God makes a covenant with Abraham. Now, we're not going to go into it, but feel free to look it up at home. But now, God's covenant is much different than any covenant we know of. So if you go to a bank to borrow money, you're going to sign a contract or a covenant. And in that covenant, we have terms, what you have to abide by and what the bank's going to abide by. Okay, And if anyone fails in any one of them areas, that covenant can be null and void. But the Abrahamic covenant is different because the Abrahamic covenant is a covenant made by God. So it's totally different. It's a covenant that man can fail, but God will never pull that covenant. So it's an everlasting covenant. So that covenant in Genesis 12 was to Abraham that he would be a blessing, his seed would be a blessing to all nations. Now that all is a clue that through that covenant, us Gentiles had a chance at salvation. Okay, now Genesis 15, Genesis 15 is a covenant, a second covenant with Abraham that God made with Abraham. And that covenant was a deed to the land of Israel. Now, the nation of Israel today encompasses a region, but it's not the full region what God deeded to Abraham in Genesis 15. But it will come to pass because this is an eternal covenant and it will happen. So in Genesis 15, God deeded that land to the nation of Israel. Okay? And now we want to turn to a passage we are going to read. Is the third text is Jeremiah 31. So I could pull many different passages, but what I'm going for tonight is to give you the most clear passages that make perfect sense without you having to hear me drone on and on and on. All right? Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah was a prophet. Jeremiah was a prophet during the 600s. In 606 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar came in the final time, wiped out Jerusalem. And where was Jeremiah, if you remember? Jeremiah was in a pit. That's right. The Israelites didn't like his message that they had to turn from their wicked ways, so they threw Jeremiah in a pit. All right? So Jeremiah is a prophet, and this is what Jeremiah prophesied. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 37. Verse 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers. That would be the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. When I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. 
This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Now those verses pertain to the thousand-year reign that's going to happen after the seven-year tribulation. That's when Jesus is going to do this with the nation of Israel. If you would go into the Gospels, Jesus and even Paul in his writings say that right now for a season, the Israelites are spiritually blinded until the full number of Gentiles be come in. So I was in Israel three years ago, and they're not what you would call a religious people. Well, there are, you'll see the devout Jews, the Orthodox, the Messianic, you'll see them, they're dressed different. But as a whole, they want nothing to do with God. And you say, well, how can they be still God's chosen people? They are. They are. And here we get in to verse 35. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will the descendants of Israel ever cease to be a nation before me. And now he puts more emphasis on it. This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out will I reject all the descendants of Israel because of all they have done, declares the Lord. So we can't measure the earth. We can't, we can't do that. We can't control the seas. So here, it's a mute point. The Lord will never forsake Israel. Myth number two, because we haven't rightly divided the word many times in the church. Myth number two is Jesus and the disciples' ministry was to Gentiles. It never was. It never was. Other than a few instances, exceptions throughout Scripture, from Genesis 12, the time the Abrahamic covenant was installed by God with Abraham, all the way through the rest of the Old Testament, and you get into the Gospels, it's all Jew, with a few exceptions. A few exceptions. You would, have, uh, you would have the centurion, who we'll talk about in Acts 10. You can have uh, Jonah in the well, Nineveh, there's one. Ruth, Moabitess, Rahab is one. There's a couple others, but that's it. It's all Jew. Even Jesus' ministry was Jew. It was directly to the Jew. Let's get into that. Let's look it up. Romans 15, 8. Ken, this is crazy. I've never heard this. You might be saying, that's great. Let's look it up. Romans chapter 15, verse 8. Paul writes Romans. Paul is writing to believing Romans. Romans. 
Romans 15, verse 8, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. Okay, so Jesus' time on earth was to fulfill the covenants that he made to the nation of Israel. So all your prophets, we've got Isaiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Joel, all of them coming up, Jeremiah, Zechariah, all of them coming up, talked about Jesus the Messiah and what he had to fulfill, these covenants. Matthew 10. Matthew 10. Jesus is instructing his disciples. Matthew 10, verses 5 and 6. Matthew 10, verses 5 and 6. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So that's very clear. That's from the Lord himself. It's red letter edition. Do not go among the Gentiles. But that all changed at Pentecost, right? We think it, we think it did, right? In our church today, we think the body of Christ started at Pentecost. Let's look at that. Did it or did it not? Did the body of Christ start at Pentecost or did it start with the Apostle Paul? Let's see what Scripture says for some clues. Let's go to Acts 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. So this is when Peter, now Peter is confronting the Jews on what they did to Jesus, okay? So he's trying to convince them at Pentecost, he's preaching to them, say this Jesus was the Christ, he was the Messiah, and you killed him. He was the one all the prophets spoke about, and you missed it, and you killed him, okay? This is Peter's message. Now, at this time, Paul is still Saul, okay? So we're at Pentecost. That's about eight weeks after Christ's ascension. So let's read Acts 2, verse 14. Acts 2, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. How many Gentiles did you hear in that announcement? Zero. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. So he starts explaining things. Verse 22 of the same chapter. Men of Israel. Any Gentiles there? No. Not a one. Let's keep going. Verse 29. Verse 29. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. Who was David? It was a Jew. 
And he was, they thought maybe it was David, but no, David's still in the grave. But this Jesus, he rose from the dead with power. Verse 36. Therefore, Peter says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Any Gentiles there? Therefore, let all Israel, not a one, not a one. Let's go to Acts 10. Something interesting happens in Acts 10. So now in Acts 10, we fast forward about eight to nine years from Acts 2. That's taken place. Eight to nine years now has transpired. We're going to go to Acts 10. Now, Acts 10 is one of those exceptions. Now, if we would read Acts 9, Peter has this vision of this sheet, and in this sheet there are all these unclean animals, okay? And in his vision, he's told to get up, rise, and eat. Peter says, heaven forbid I would do that. No, there's unclean animals. That's not lawful. So you need to remember, we are eight to nine years past Christ's ascension, and they're still following law. They're still going to the synagogue. They're still following the customs, all right? We think they're not anymore, but they still are. So Acts 10 is the story of Cornelius. So Peter is called to go to Cornelius' house. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. He was a Gentile, but he was God-fearing, okay? So in Acts 10... Verse 28. This is what Peter says to Cornelius when he gets to his house. Peter said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. Okay, so that's nine years after Christ's ascension. And Peter is telling these Gentiles, it's against our law to associate with you at all or to be in contact with you. Well, if you know the story of Cornelius and his household, they all believed. They believed the message that Jesus was the Christ. Okay? So you think that the Jews would be happy about this, right? We believers, new believers. Let's go to Acts 11. The next chapter, verses 1 through 3. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, okay, who are they? Them are Jewish believers. Well, what do they believe? They believed Peter's message at Pentecost of who Jesus was. He was the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what they had to believe. And when Peter was preaching that, if you remember, he told them what they did, and they said, what must we do to be saved? That was their response to Peter. And Peter said, repent. What did they have to repent from? They had to repent from, from not accepting Christ and crucifying him, repent from that, and be baptized. That was their profession of faith. All right, so Acts 11, these believing, circumcised believers criticized him. 
and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men, or Gentiles, and ate with them. How dare you do that? So the disciples' ministry after Pentecost was not to Gentiles. Okay? So what you had, you had the Orthodox Jews who saw, later Paul would have been one, a Pharisee of Pharisees. Okay? He believed in abiding by the law. He knew all the Old Testament forwards and backwards, and he was a religious zealot. Okay? You had him and everybody else in that group, the religious leaders, the Jews at that time. And you had the believing Jews, these here that were upset that Peter went to Gentiles. And, well, what's the believing Jews? The believing Jews are the ones that Saul was persecuting. Okay? They were the ones that believed Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. They believed that. They believed Peter's preaching. They believed the disciples' preaching. That's what the disciples were told to preach. All right? Now, we would think, if we go to Acts 8, let's go back to Acts 8. Just turn back a couple pages. Acts 8 is right after Stephen is martyred. So, Acts 7, Stephen confronts all these Jewish religious leaders on what they did to Jesus the Christ. Okay? They got ticked off, and they stoned him. All right? And then, in Acts 8, we read verse 1. And Saul was there giving approval to his death, Stephen's death. That's Saul, who's later Paul. Okay? He was there cheering on the stoning of Stephen, who was a believing Jew that believed Jesus was Christ. Okay, Verse 1 of chapter 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. That would be believing Jews that believed Jesus was Christ. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Okay, so your believing Jews are being persecuted by the Orthodox Jews. So they scattered after Stephen was killed. But your 12 disciples... They didn't scatter. They went back to Jerusalem. Now, if you remember Matthew 28, we call it the Great Commission as the church of today, the body of Christ's Great Commission. But that Great Commission was directed to who? The 12 disciples. Who were they? Jews. Okay? And they were to go out and proclaim who Jesus was. He was the Christ. All right? But now, they didn't go out they stayed in Jerusalem. Now, Scripture is supernatural, but it's also, you can follow it logically. So one must has to ask, if all the believing Jews scattered to avoid persecution, why did the 12 disciples go back to Jerusalem? Well, if we would go to Matthew 19, you'll read, Peter asked Jesus, and the, 12, the other ones were there, Jesus, we left our homes, we left our jobs, we went with you for three years. What do we get for that? Now, they weren't wondering if they were saved, but what, what's the reward for that? And Jesus said, when I set up my earthly kingdom, each one of you will rule over one of the tribes of Israel. See, the disciples knew scripture. 
And they knew that all the prophecies pointed to Jesus being the Messiah. And when he's come, there was still seven years of the 490 years. If you go to Daniel chapter 9 and read that, Daniel saw a vision. And it was so disturbing to Daniel, he was physically distraught. And Gabriel said, close, up the, close it up. Close this prophecy up for another day, and it'll be revealed. So that's what happened. But 483 years of those 490 years had been prophecies that had already been fulfilled, but there were seven years that hadn't been fulfilled yet. And they knew they were going to be fulfilled. And then after that seven years, the Messiah would come. So they fully expected that to happen, and they didn't want to miss it because where is Jesus going to return in his second coming? As he ascended to heaven, he's going to come back down on the Mount of Olives and his feet are going to land there. Scripture says that. They knew that, and they were waiting for it. Peter and the Apostle Paul as well, they were convinced this was going to happen in their lifetime until the end. And Second Peter Peter is writing 2 Peter. He's about ready to be killed. He knows his time on earth is short, and he knows it's not going to happen in his lifetime. Paul in 2 Timothy, he's telling Timothy, my time is used up. I will no longer be here shortly. So he knew as well. Okay. So myth number one, the body of Christ replaced Israel. That would be myth number one in Christendom. When we don't rightly divide the word of God, we know from Scripture that's not true. Myth number two, Jesus and the disciples' ministry was to Gentiles. That's a myth. It wasn't. Just a few exceptions. Myth number three, final one. We must do more than just believe to be saved. Now we believe... But Paul said, if we are marching orders today with the body of Christ, comes from the Apostle Paul. And he's saved. Wait a minute, Ken, are you saying to ignore the rest of Scripture? No, not at all. Paul tells us that all Scripture is beneficial for our learning. But if we want to know doctrine, what church doctrine should be, what we need to believe in the body of Christ today, we get that from the Apostle Paul. Okay, nowhere else. Nowhere else. Turn with me to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Paul is writing to believers in Colossians. Verses 13 and 14. So Saul is now Paul. Remember the road to Damascus? Christ grabbed a hold of him said, you're persecuting me. Paul suffered tremendously to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. In that day, it was a pagan, pagan culture. Jesus never talked about the body of Christ. They talked about the kingdom of heaven, which made perfect sense to the Jew, because the Jew was looking for the kingdom of heaven on earth. Paul talks about the body of Christ, and he says, of whom I'm chief, the first, okay? Paul got his revelation from Jesus Christ himself. In your time, you read Galatians chapter 1 and chapter 2. 
you will find things in there that you may have just read right over. As I've studied, that's what I came to realize. Wow, I read right over this. Did not grasp it. But Paul tells us specifically that he got the revelation to the mysteries that he's teaching, his gospel, from the risen Jesus Christ himself. He spent three years in Arabia. You'll get that reading Galatians 1 and 2. But we're going to go to Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. Paul's writing to believers in Colossae, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code, that is the law, the Mosaic law, with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Now again, the Jew was law. The body of Christ, Gentile, is grace. You cannot mix the two together. They will not mix. Let's read this again. When you were dead in your sins. So in other words, there was no hope. If you're dead, you're dead. It's not, you were mostly dead, and, on a, and, and then you were able to believe. No, no, no. Paul says, when you were dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive. So yes, we have to choose by faith, plus nothing, to believe what Jesus Christ did in his death, burial, and resurrection to cover our state of sinfulness before him. But we can't do it unless he makes that work in us before. It's all God. It's all God. The very fact that we can stand up and say, I believe that I'm a sinner, that Jesus died and was buried and rose again to cover my sins and pay my price and pay my penalty. I can't say that on my own because I wouldn't have known it without it being revealed to me through the Holy Spirit. Because God chose me before I chose him. That's grace. That's grace. Well, Ken, what do you got to do? You got to keep the commandments. No, 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 no. You can't. You can't. See, here's what Paul says. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Do you know that all your past sins, your present sins, and future sins are forgiven? Oh, wait a minute. I got to repent, right? No. 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 This is what Paul is saying. This is grace. Look at this. He forgave us. Not will forgive, might forgive. In the future, if we repent, we'll forgive. Paul says, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code, because the written code condemned us. Because remember, if you couldn't keep one law, you were guilty of all of them. He canceled the written code with its regulations. Law, 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 law. That was against us. It condemned us. It was a yoke, Paul says. And that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. 
we can't comprehend the grace of Christ. It's something profound that he's given to the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians, just a few more passages and we'll be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 17. In church culture today, we have lots of armchair experts. And they tell us the kind of programs we have to run to reach lost people. They tell us how our services need to be, how our worship style needs to be, to be successful in spreading the gospel. Okay? Paul takes a different approach. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize. He's talking about water baptism. But he sent me to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom. Now, but to preach the gospel, not a gospel, the gospel. Not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It's preaching the cross of Christ that has power to change lives. Verse 21 of that same passage. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Now, does it say believe and repent? Does it say believe and be baptized? Believe and be a church member? No. It says, was preached to save those who believe. Now, go to Galatians chapter 1. What is the gospel? We'll get to that right after we read Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Was there more than one gospel? Some say absolutely not. Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9. Paul is writing to the believers in Galatia. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Well, what's Paul talking about? So Paul would go to the Gentiles and he would preach Christ crucified that you're saved by faith plus nothing in what Christ did on the cross. And these Gentiles, they'd believe. Paul would minister to them, set up churches. He'd move on to the next place. Well, in behind Paul came the Jews. Okay? And they would say, what? You can't be saved by Paul's gospel to believe by faith plus nothing. You need to keep the law. And you need to be circumcised. And you need to eat the right foods. Okay? And Paul, we don't have time. But Galatians 2, make a note of it if you want, Galatians 2 and Acts 15 are parallel passages. Okay? And if you read those two, you'll figure out, Paul, by revelation, was told, this was probably 20 years after Pentecost, you need to get back to Jerusalem because Acts 15 is a Jerusalem council. And they were calling Paul and Barnabas back there 
holding their feet to the fire, you got to stop this preaching. You got to stop this gospel that you're preaching of faith plus nothing. And Paul says, No, I can't. I can't. You got to. And then at that time, James now is the leader of the apostles. Peter is kind of in the background. And in Acts 15, this Jerusalem council, they're wrangling back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, arguing. Paul, you have to change what you're teaching. No, I'm not going to change what I'm teaching. And Peter finally stands up. Fellow Jews, remember many, many years ago, the Roman centurion Cornelius, and I was called to his house, and they believed. So, obviously, God must want Gentiles saved. So, you'll read in Acts 15 that after much discussion, they extended the right hand and shook on it. The disciples shook with Paul and said, you keep going to the Gentiles with your gospel, and we will keep going to the Jews with our gospel. You can read about it in Acts 15 and Galatians 2. So there was different gospels. So this is, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and returning to a different gospel. And this is what Paul says, which is really no gospel at all. And if you get into 2 Peter, Peter says, and he's, Peter's writing to Jews, he says, if you want a more excellent gospel, and this is just before Peter dies, go to Paul's. Go to Paul's gospel. Paul continues on, verse 7. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. But this doesn't say at one time. Verse 9, as we have already said. So now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. So let's finish with Paul's gospel. What is it? What exactly is Paul's gospel that was revealed to him? He, he talks about the mystery of the gospel being revealed to him, the mystery that now Christ, through the Apostle Paul, is going to the Gentile nation. So basically, what's happened? God has put a pause on the nation of Israel. He's given them a spiritual blindness until the full body of Gentiles come in. That's where we're at right now, the body of Christ. We're living that right now, that part of prophecy. We are part of that right now. So what's the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. That's very exclusive. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, 
I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. There's our gospel from the Apostle Paul for our time, the body of Christ, to believe by faith plus nothing. Just to believe. And see what's really interesting is what was counted Abraham. Abraham didn't even have the law, okay? The law started with Moses. Abraham was pre-Moses. Abraham didn't even have the law. What made, what was credited righteousness to Abraham? What did he do? He believed God, it says in Hebrews, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So here's what Paul's saying. It's no more law, it's grace. Folks, you got a sin problem, Paul says. That's Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. We've earned it. We've earned it. The wages, wages is, you earn it. It's death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So we've got a sin problem. How do we solve it? Well, Lord, what can I do? No, no. Remember, Jesus said on the cross, I said, it is finished. It's finished. I've nailed your sins to the cross. Now, what I'm saying to you is, do you believe by faith alone that I died, was buried, and rose again? Do you believe it? And you know, I believe on Judgment Day, those that haven't believed this message, they're going to realize when they get to hell, all I had to do was believe it by faith, and I chose not to. To be sad? An eternity in hell, knowing all I had to do was believe it. We can't add anything more to it. If we add more to it, we take away what Christ did on the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may it never be that we don't rightly divide your word. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the Apostle Paul, for the five times he was flogged, the three times he was whipped with rods, the times he was imprisoned, starved, naked, cold, chased out of town, stoned to death, come back to life to bring this message, the gospel of grace, to us, the body of Christ, of which you are the head. Heavenly Father, it's just amazing what you've done for us. We thank you for the gift of grace. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's truth. We thank you that you've never changed ever. You always stay the same. Thank you, Lord. This we pray in thy name. And all God's children said, Amen. So we have a closing hymn, Psalter 544, verses 1 through 4.
I always stand as we sing.